0: everyone. Welcome to Noisy Narratives. This is Debbie Vallejo and I am joined today by Christy. Hey Hello. Christy. Hello. And by Rachel Rosser-Schulte. Hello. She has joined us before and we're so happy to have her back. Um, we're excited she's here with us. We have a lot to get to today. So Christy and I are both doing great. There you go. Got it covered. Boom. <laughs> we're doing... <laughs> Rachel, you're doing great too, right? Great. There great. you go. It's a sunny day, pretty yeah. day. We're happy to be here. But we are wrapping up our um, kind of our series that we had done on mental health, mental illness and that discussion. Um, And today we wanted to bring the discussion around to more how the church and the people of the church. So we're not just talking about leadership. We're also talking about the people who make up the church. So if you're listening, that's you, right? If you're in a Mm -hmm. church, Um, how the church is uniquely qualified. To come alongside, um, wrap their arms around people who are struggling with mental health, and we're going to get to the definition in a minute, um, or mental illness. And there's a lot of different facets and capacity, capacities of you know that pertain to all of that. So Rachel is going to start us off. We thought what we would
1: do first. I'm going to reintroduce her though. Is
0: I just did. You didn't did say she, she was, was a counselor. Oh, right, okay.
1: Therapist. You're right. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> like, did I miss that? I don't no, think you, you did. I, you think, didn't. I think it was implied from like uh, the first time I was but but some on people here. Don't. I mean, we That's only true. have three
2: listeners. So what if one of those three didn't listen you last? That's time? True. That's true. right. True. I got. A, I said
0: her name, mm-hmm. but I didn't like her, do her. She bio. worked hard for those titles. <laughs> Give her her titles. Worked hard for those letters, man. That's right. She is a licensed professional counselor. But you never stop learning. You're always learning, which is what I appreciate about you a lot. And she's also a good friend, so I always enjoy talking to her. And if you want to know even more about her, you can go back and listen to her from a previous time that we've had her on. (laughs) But she um, has worked on church staffs. She has her own counseling practice. So she's actually worked in a psychiatric hospital. Yes, she's done all the above. So she's very qualified to have this discussion as far as just helping lead us through um, how the church can engage in this area. So um, now that we've told you more about who Rachel is, Um, We're going to have her just talk about the definition of mental health and mental illness quickly as we start off that. So we have a foundation of kind of what we're talking about here. So Rachel, there you go. Take it
1: away. So I'm actually going to plug a website that everybody needs to just like bookmark in your browser, and it's uh, www.bradhambrick.com. Brad is a fellow biblical counselor. He is a counseling pastor at the Summit Church uh, in North Carolina, I believe. It's one of the Carolinas. Um, And on his website, he has a plethora of resources about addiction, abuse, codependency, uh, depression, sexual betrayal. Uh, It's a great great. He has lots of resources, not only for counselors and pastors, but for lay people. And so uh, one of the resources that we've lifted some of the conversation today is specifically from Brad, and it is on uh, mental illness and the church. Um, And so I'm going to use his definition of uh, mental illness. Uh, Before, though, it's really helpful to understand what is mental health. And so mental health, this is from Webster's, is just a state of emotional and psychological well-being in which an individual is able to use his or her cognitive and emotional capabilities, function in society, and meet the ordinary demands of everyday life. Now, mental illness, and bear with me because this is a little bit of a longer definition, is a life struggle which is common to all people to some degree that significantly and persistently impairs an individual's mental, social, and emotional ability to function. With the exception of responses to trauma, this impairment is beyond a normal response to their life circumstance. The strengths and weaknesses associated with particular personality qualities and aptitudes are not mental illness. And so just to continue with that, mental illness may have its cause in the physical body um, and environmental causes and personal choices, but most often in a combination of these causes.
0: So That's awesome. So it's because we were talking about how when we first started this conversation in this particular series, and this is the fourth one um, that we've dropped on, um, talking about mental health and mental illness. Christy and I were struggling with defining those two things. It was a big struggle. It was. Trying to make sure we understood, um, because there's a lot of things that fall under mental health, and there's certain things that fall under mental illness, so we wanted to... um, you know, have that discussion. So, as you hear us kind of pulling apart these papers um, on our podcast, you'll know we're all kind of looking at this article as a jumping off point. So then, I think the first question then, as we approach this conversation, Rachel, is how do you feel like the church itself is uniquely qualified to address this issue?
2: And I, we mean church, like everybody in the church, like together. people in the people church, people in the church, how are women in the church? It's, it's women <laughs> usually
1: listen to us. Well, as as believers in Jesus, we're to. Look, the more and more we spend time with Jesus, the goal would be that we look like Jesus. We're never going to look like Jesus. if We don't spend time with Jesus. But what I know of Jesus is that he spent time with people um, on the fringes. Like he spent time with people who were kind of the outcasts of society, um, the dregs of society, people full full of shame. And honestly, that's where a lot of people that have mental illness, uh, they feel like that they are kind of on the outskirts of the camp. And that they just don't fit in and feeling a lot of shame uh, over their lack of appropriate mental health. And so as believers, if we are to, um, you know, we to look like him, then we got to think about, okay, where would Jesus, where's the starting off point? And so we look at how Jesus interacts with people uh, who we would deem different, right, or on the outskirts. And Jesus is, is compassionate. He's kind. He engages. Uh, Most often, I generally see Jesus like pursuing those people. Now, occasionally, they may pursue him with like the uh, the hem of his garment and different things like that. But oftentimes, Jesus is engaging uh, those people first.
0: That's good. That's good. Okay, so we have some questions that are here. Do y'all want to go yeah, through some of these I was questions? On. Yes. Because some of these questions are really good. Christy, is there one that stood out to you? Well, right? I just like
2: the first. Is mental illness or flaw in character or chemistry?
0: So is, this is mental illness
2: a flaw in character or is a flaw in chemistry? chemistry. So. Is this the best way to frame the question? What do we lose when we fall into the trap of either or thinking? Which I think we're going to find mm-hmm. that to be in our whole conversation mm-hmm. is again mm-hmm. I said earlier, but reduction. Like you can't. Just check the box so you can't be, it's just this one thing or it's only this. It's a lot of mixing parts, which was what makes it messy. Yeah. And hard to so figure fun. out because it's, it's like a plate of spaghetti. You just don't know where to start or do I twirl it around my fork or do I cut it up or do I put the whole thing in my mouth? How do I do that? Well,
1: it's kind of like, I mean, as, <laughs> as believers, we're not just. Believers, Like, we're kind of complex creatures in the fact that we are sinners, mm-hmm. right? Uh, we also are sufferers because we live in a fallen world. We have fallen bodies. You know, we live with other sinners. And then we are saints, right? If we are believers in Jesus Christ, he set us apart. And then we're also human, which means that we have weaknesses and limitations and preferences. Um And then in all of that, right, we've been made in the image of God. Um, everyone, even if they're not a saint, they are to reflect his image. And so if we think of ourselves— um, Um, In those categories, you have to think of uh, mental health not just being boiled down to a sin issue or not having enough faith or, well, this person just has bad genes, Mm -hmm. right? But there's, like, a lot more probably at play than we can even see with our naked eye. Yeah, and you even touched on that by saying it's a sin issue
2: Um, because there's still that old-school thought of, Mm -hmm. which blows my mind, sin or faith issue. Yes. Right. I still am like, seriously, you really think like there's some deep, dark sin that they're not confessing, which is why they're doing this, or they don't have enough faith to overcome it like that. So God isn't fixing them because they don't yeah. have yes. enough faith. Yes. I just, I can't wrap my head around that. I think I could when I, earlier in my relationship with the Lord, I could think that way. Yeah. But now I'm like, that's not right. You think So that think comes that from way. kind of
0: a prosperity gospel overall, right? A prosperity gospel of... Yes, of mental health, of prosperity gospel, of finances, I of
2: prosperity. If it's prosperity. It's just, just a small, small way have of this, thinking of God. Like it's just a real small way of thinking of, how like Jesus coming and how what God does and saves, and then how we're created. Yeah. Like we're not created that small. God is not created that small. He's so much bigger. And the and then you've got the world. You can't say it's always Satan tempting me. There's an element of the world too, yes. just living in this world in your That's flesh. Yeah. So there's so many other touch points that I feel like sometimes we discount.
1: Well, if you think about the fact that the, if we're supposed to look like cookie cutter Christians, I mean, Jesus wouldn't look. Like us, meaning that there were—I mean, was it his family members that said that he was crazy? He was yes, outside drunk. of his mind. Yeah, yeah. And so I always like to use that yes. as a reference point uh, for any of the clients I have that struggle with mental illness. And, I'm and like, what well,
0: would we think of John the Baptist now? Oh, for sure. I'd I think be
1: such so good friends with John him. the Baptist. <laughs> well, even <eat laughs> go stay with him on a stone. Go eat go the, uh-huh, I mean, Paul uh-huh, says okay. like we would be outside of our minds, like yeah. saying yes. uh, that his love of Christ compels him to love others, and so. I think that it depends on, like, I I think historically the church has not done a great job currently with mental health, but I also know that there were some, like, I remember back uh, reading, it was a Puritan paper, but it was back in uh, Luther's time, and they were actually kind and gracious to those who were uh, very different, Mm. Uh, just, you know, not, they would kind of deem them not right, but even that definition, it's just so... They were kind brutal. to them, but they were still
0: not right. Exactly. Not, yes. Yes. Yeah, so there's still you was really, a label
1: of it.
2: But I, as much as I don't like the not right, mm-hmm. there's an element of acknowledging, I'm not
1: right. Like, I need help. But can't you have, like we said earlier, brain-based or a body-based weakness, but actually have a really strong faith in Jesus?
2: Well, yes, we did, but explain that a little bit more. So that I mean, I think so <laughs> it
1: is possible that you can, like... Um, just have brain and body based, uh, functioning that's, you know, off and like have a, a really strong faith Mm -hmm. in the Lord, meaning that what if you have someone who, uh, has a, um, a label of like bipolar disorder, right? And so they have manic episodes um where there's like really rapid speech, there's a little bit of grandiosity, but they're like confessing and talking these things and like they know who they are in their lord. They're trying not give in to the temptations like if they have manic struggles, but they're like mm-hmm. bringing those things in light of community, but that they they know the word of God, they believe the word of God that they are believers, they serve their community. I think we just can't boil people down into mm-hmm. This is your diagnosis, yeah. which means that you don't, right, have,
2: yeah. have faith. Well, I would say that even about my brother, like he loved Jesus, but yet he'd be like, I hear voices.
1: Yeah.
2: I mean, and for me at the time, I'd be like, oh, my gosh, he's possessed. And then struggling with what well, can you be possessed? Can you be possessed and still be a believer? Oh, my gosh, he's not a believer. And then someone coming alongside and be like, whoa, pause. It's actually a chemical thing. This mm-hmm. is not a salvation issue.
1: And see, that's so great. So I had a family member and – um he was hearing voices and having uh he has a bipolar disorder and he was, um, you know, sharing, he wanted to share his testimony, different things, scaring a different family member of mine. Uh, and so the other family member actually called their pastor uh, and their pastor so lovingly spoke, uh, to this family member and said, Hey, you know, he needs help. He needs actually psychiatric help. This isn't demons. This mm-hmm. is, there's a chemical imbalance in his brain yes, and he needs help. And, yep. uh, they actually sent, you know, my, uh, my family member to, uh, a hospital, uh, because they realized that he needed more care, uh, that was available to him than just like outpatient counseling and, mm-hmm. um, and medication. And so in that instance, I was like, whoa, way to go, uh, for the church instead of like calling it a demon or mm-hmm. thinking that they could pray it out, and do, which th- I have heard of those situations. I've had clients that have come and shared with me um, just the shame they have felt over their mental illness. Uh, and not that there's not a place for that, not that spiritual warfare is very much real and it's uh, present in all of our lives and prayer is always needed, but the shame that felt that there was something off, that medication actually would potentially help. Um, with their mania or, you know, with the delusions and hallucinations, and especially anytime there's a fear that they might take their own life or the life of someone mm-hmm. else. Yeah. So, if someone, so
0: let's um, hone in on that a little bit. So, if, um, you know, someone's listening, and because the question was kind of is mental illness a flaw in character or is it a flaw in chemistry? And so it seems like the nuance is it could be either or both. Yeah. It yeah. could be both. Yeah. And so how does someone, cause we're talking, we as the church want to, we hone in really hard on character. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't hone in so much on biology and how biology may influence character, how biology may influence our choices. Are we getting enough And the physical issues too? Are we getting enough sleep as a person in the church? If there's someone you're walking with in a life group, in a Bible study, yeah. whatever, that's sharing stuff. Like, how do you start getting, helping them kind of ask those questions? And
2: um, They come to you and they go, Rachel, here's a hard one. And you're like, no, let me give that back to you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the thing is like, is to not be silent. And those matters. And so even if you don't have a family member or a friend, which the majority of us should have a family member or a friend, especially within the last two years that have struggled with depression or anxiety, um, which is a mental health, mental illness issue. And so you know people that have this issue. So you've got to think about how do you listen well? And so part of it could just be with this person in your small group or with this woman in your Bible study asking questions and taking the time to not only know her diagnosis, um, but actually to to know her as a person and so because people are more than labels right so when we label somebody um, as oh well this is just a person with you know uh, ocd we do a disservice to that person but getting to know them because a diagnosis is it might look different with every single individual we run across and so then as you get to know the person then like start asking questions you know specifically around like different types of factors like the biological factors like You know, if they're taking care of themselves, they take their medication, like different things like that. And then any environmental influences that could be going on, like family of origin, what's their home life like? You know, is there any abuse? Have they lost a job recently? Like what are environmental influences that may... Uh, especially, let's say you have somebody that has, you know, OCD or has bipolar, any kind of triggers like that. So, oftentimes, people that uh, have bipolar—not always, but sometimes—they um, struggle with uh, if they don't sleep, right? Lack of sleep, mm-hmm. and so that could be a trigger point, like a setting off point for them. Right. Oh, if they haven't been sleeping, you know, kind of checking in with them, seeing how they're doing. Could they get rest? Right. And then, you know, then then you want to look at like, OK, what are the character issues? If you see somebody that is uh, that, you know, has and you're in relationship. Let me maybe make sure I put that as a the caveat. caveat there. Yes. yes. Like you are yes. in a very close relationship with somebody that is struggling I'll switch it to just, uh, the
2: simple one. Can we do like depression Yeah, let's, let's. or anxiety?
1: Sure. Let's do anxiety. Okay. You're struggling with somebody that, uh, has just generalized anxiety disorder. What right? does it look like? If you don't mind. It's sure. Um, so biologically. So that would mean that there are things that are going on in their body, um, that are just not working as the Lord intended. And you got to remember that all of us have bodies that don't, work like the Lord intended them to because of the fall. We all live after the, the fall. apple, the fruit. Yeah. So I I actually struggle with anxiety. So I can kind of speak to this, like yeah. my little neural pathways, right, at times can habituate into these little fears. And mine is, uh, we always joke around about this because my husband always tells me he's afraid of what people think about him. And I'm like, oh, I'm not, I'm not afraid of that. I'm afraid of the future <laughs> or any yeah. kind of medical condition. But like, I'll have like these little habituated pathways of not thinking about the future with Jesus present in them, right? Or I'm like kind of running down this road and I'm thinking about like all the things that could potentially happen, um, right? You know, just Mm. worst case scenario. And so then what I notice is like my heart rate starts beating a lot faster. My breathing gets a little bit more shallow. My brain starts to just kind of click and go. And then I'm really not paying attention, nor am I being present with like people that are in front of me or can't really hold on conversations. You know, I'm not doing any of those things. And so um, that could be kind of more how the biology affects it. Now, like, environmentally, right, if I've had, you know, stress going on with my spouse, yeah, stress going on with my uh, girls, stress with, like, my family of origin, maybe I had a really stressful day at work because <laughs> that mm-hmm. happens a lot. Or mm-hmm. I'm just carrying a weight of someone's, like, abuse story that they just shared to me um, right. That's going to, and if I haven't like spent some time like trying to care for myself or spend time connecting to the Lord, that's going to make my anxiety like I'm, it's, I'm going to have like a maybe a lower threshold. Um, right. And so th- that's going to be an issue. Uh, and then, you know, some of the more kind of like, you know, character things. So for me, I have completely given up caffeine. No, other people haven't. And so every once in a while, I'll have a cup of coffee. Occasionally, if I go with Debbie to like up right. inspired kitchen, I'll have coffee. One, wow. I'll just have one. So I've been awesome. real big fan of like uh, London Fog lattes, which is just tea. But there's always like choice, right? Because yep. even in secular psychology, um, so much of the therapies are about uh, like changing your thought patterns, changing your feelings, changing your actions, mm. so that there is actually like human volition that there's actually choice in the matter. And so I you have can it, control you, right? I mean, in some ways, right? You can look at. Okay, what am I responsible for? Yes. And then what do I have to entrust to God? Yeah. I mean, so part of that could be, okay, Lord, I'm gonna choose to not think about like mm-hmm. I'm this is what I was thinking of, and like pray it out loud to him, like very specifically, but I'm gonna give this over to you. Yeah. Right. And like that might be Yeah. Five times in one minute. And so
2: well, I heard today in our life group it was really cool. One lady said that I she just dis- when she discovered that she can reject what Satan wants to give her. Yeah. And she was like, I felt like I had so much power all of a sudden. Like, I don't, that's from Satan. I'm going to reject that. Yeah. And she said, it was so freeing. And it was probably five years ago that someone told her, you can reject what Satan's trying to give you. And she goes, and now I reject it out loud. So now it's super empowering. And then learning to accept what the Lord wants to give you. Yeah. Because sometimes you don't want to accept it or you don't feel like you're worthy of it.
1: Well, and I always try to tell the people when they get kind of confused on what's the voice of God or is this Satan Yeah, we talked about this, that too. Yeah, is that the spirit of God is never contradicting the word of God. Right. And so God's word. It will
0: never
2: condemn
1: you, though, yeah, and make you no, go to a deep, dark, never. separated place from the well, Lord.
0: It, I think some people, th- that's the struggle too. There is a difference between convention, uh, conviction mm-hmm. and condemnation. Yeah, But yes. I think some people too, it's hard to recognize. I know for myself growing up, um, and it was part of the, and I think I shared this on the staff retreat. We were just on our staff retreat. I would, when I felt shame about something, um, I was scared to talk. I was afraid someone else would feel about me the mm-hmm. way I felt about myself, mm-hmm. you know? And I think a lot of times we forget that actually a lot of people can be very gracious. Some mm-hmm. people can be very unkind, but there's also a lot of very gracious, mm-hmm. kind people in the in God's church. Mm-hmm. And so not everybody, you may feel convicted,
1: well, I think you may what... feel
0: shame, mm-hmm. but the shame is not of the Lord, the conviction is. But there I think the, um, the fact that someone else... I mean, you think someone else is actually going to feel that would think the worst of you because you felt the worst of yourself before you understood the difference, you know?
1: Yeah. And it's true that some people that have mental illness, right, um, or mental health, they could have had really negative experiences with yeah. the church, right? Very yeah. true. Mm-hmm. Um, but not projecting that one experience on all of Christians. the people. Yeah, on all Christians, because... Well, yes, there probably has been a lot of hurt. And I'm sure that each person in this room that's on this podcast has hurt other people. Um, Mm -hmm. We don't want to like project that onto other people that are trying to get to know us and trying to care for us and and love us.
2: So then how do you, because I heard you saying this earlier too, but then for people that have been hurt by a person in the church, how do you not allow that to stop you from engaging with other believers? We heard, I mean, I heard it, I heard you mention it. I heard somebody else say it in group recently. And then I know a couple of friends that they don't talk because they've been hurt by another believer. Mm-hmm. And now that it's just kind of like, because mm. it's almost trauma that they haven't it is,
0: processed. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. So if you leave it, it's not going to But it's that's gonna not hurt mental you. illness. you know.
2: But it does lead them to being sad and depressed at times, though. Yeah. I mean, but sometimes, and I think that pain. that's why you have to
1: kind of figure out like, oh, that question. okay, what is actually... You know, is this depression? Is this like clinical depression, or is this like, man, is this a trial that the Lord is having me go through? Right, and so it's mm, good. Now, oftentimes, I mean, with conflict, right? We God's desire is that we would be reconciled to one another, and so if they're both believers, the hope would be that they could at least talk it out. It doesn't necessarily mean the relationship the relationship would be restored, but like actually talking out the conflict or talking through it instead of just silence and moving Mm -hmm. on and disdain, because that's not forgiveness, right? Mm -hmm. And as believers, that's what we're, we're to be marked by, Mm -hmm. right? Is, is forgiveness. But um, I think when you're kind of thinking about it it can lead to depression and anxiety, you know, there are some struggles because, you know, you can look in the Bible and go, okay, well, when we look at Elijah and we see how anxious he was when he fled uh, Jezebel, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it was it was good for him to struggle in that way, right? To experience God in the small stillness, right? Um, up on the cliff. Uh, and then you think about Job and uh, his despair and his sorrow. Like, how long? Was that just grief? Or did that turn into depression? Mm-hmm. And like, what was that useful for right and mm-hmm. so if we had cut that short which I think there are some people um, in the church and I understand this that are fearful that well if you anesthetize pain right then are you like not being dependent upon the Lord in that and I, I mean it's it's a it's a decent question but I think there's better questions to ask on refusing medication. Anesthetizing that's a really big word what yeah. does that, that mean? means make it go
0: away so, mean, that means you're, it go nullifying it. you're nullifying it you're Find it with, with yeah. something with outside sources, like, yeah. and so that's what th- this is a question that he has on that Brad has on the lit that we were talking about. Mm-hmm. To that point, it said, "Would we want to eradicate all anxiety and depression if we were medically capable of doing so?" No. Nope. What would we lose like that we was good about, about, about life and relationships <laughs> if these unpleasant emotions were eradicated from human experience?
2: <laughs> so. Rachel's Ask the question again. No. Ask okay, the question because I, I need to. I, we got to think about that.
0: Okay. Here's the and there's double. So don't start yeah, laughing until yeah, I'm yeah. done. Okay. Would we want to eradicate you all anxiety and depression if we were medically capable of doing so? What would we lose that was good about life and relationships if these unpleasant emotions were eradicated from human
2: experience? If I'm going through them, I want them eradicated. If I made it out on the other side in good standing, I'm okay with them. That's right. Okay. I think there's Now, part Rachel, of it. it's your turn to correct me.
1: Go. No, <laughs> no I, I, I'm not going to correct that because I, I, I concur. Um, yeah, I think there's times, like I can always tell like in my prayers, if what I'm asking the Lord is, I'm like, okay, just change the situation or then like the the next rung down is like okay then just change how i feel about the situation Mm. and then the next rung down is okay lord obviously these things aren't changing and so help me like so we always talk
2: about okay i have a really good question because people ask when they're going through struggles like this i'm so excited you get to answer this question (laughs) because it's brought up today (laughs) and it's this is perfect but they're starting to feel depression they're starting to feel anxiety about life and they keep on asking question why me Someone says that. Why me, Lord? Why me? What do you say? I'm so glad you're here.
0: <laughs> Somebody went are going to love nice your answer. Me. I cannot wait to Because <laughs> I always look at someone and go, "Why not
1: you?" Well, well that's, what that's actually what I think. Is. Um, I'm not but help
2: us figure out more well, why. Because what was my response back to her was, "Why not you?" And but then they I don't I go, like that very much. They don't. I will. But like exactly. what I ask because yeah. I'm like, have I you read? We. We I'll generally don't like that say, very like,
1: have you read the book of Job? That's usually where I start. I'm like, have you, you read can't that? can't really answer the have question. Have you read that? No, here's what I like to do. I like to answer their questions with questions, because oh, that's no. what Jesus did. He, oh, he, like, true. they asked questions, and he would ask questions yeah. back. And so I'm like, yeah, that's just easier. And honestly, that's what God did with Job. And so, I mean, sure. literally with Job, he basically was like, hey, you actually don't have the intellect to ask the questions that you're asking. You can ask them, but you don't have that. I think ultimately we're talking about, like, self-pity. I mean, which kind of, like... There, with good job, Rachel. Oh, yeah. you That's it. why you have all those letters after <laughs> your name. Well, we're talking about self-pity. And that's going to just Good. weigh you down even more, right? Is like, man, why am I going through this? Why? And if you notice, anytime we ask a why question, it just brings up another why question. It does, which is why know. I
2: don't like asking them. Yeah.
1: Well, Probably. I think one of the, the greatest like it, things yeah. we could do with people who are depressed or in despair is like as a church, like coming around them and actually teaching them how to lament, right? Because in the Psalms, mm. that's like a third of our communication is lamenting to God. And so actually, true. Teaching, there's a lot of
2: sad
0: people who wrote psalms. Well, right. I mean, but so part yeah, of it is I'm really not good. saying
1: I'm not saying this is the only part, right? But if we're talking about hey, here's your lay friend. And who's a believer, and you are friends with somebody else who is struggling with depression, right? And, uh, or maybe they're struggling with a little bit of PTSD. Uh, You can't prescribe them medication, right? Maybe you're not like a licensed counselor or even a biblical counselor, but what you can do is go, hey, let's read the Bible together, let's read through Psalms together, and let's learn how to write laments because. I need to learn how to write them just as much as you do. And so, like, learning how to write a lament to the Lord, it's kind of a paradoxical way out of of despair. You're using some really big words right now. (laughs) Well, everybody thinks, why would I want to grieve and lament if I'm sad? And I'm like, well, you are sad. You need to voice that to somebody. And grieving is different than actually just kind of sitting in despair and so teaching somebody how to grieve even if you don't know how i think it's something that you can learn um And that you can actually sit with people who are struggling with mental illness. Like, let's just read the Psalms, because there's plenty of those that speak to anguish of the soul, right? Speak to terror and lots of questions of the Lord. Like, you know, where are you? Well, I
0: think that's what I was kind of getting at is that there's so many illustrations in the Bible of just contextually things that we do not like. Whether it's someone cheating on us, whether it's a friend who betrays us, whether it's all these things that it does not mean that we have to stay in the relationship and we're going to feel these emotions, but they point towards something, right? And I guess sometimes I wonder, does the church run to meet those very well? Do we run to meet the emotional fallout of that thing that may lead to mental health, mental illness? Or not? Like, do we rush to go where you are in your sadness and your grief and your anger and your bitterness? Um, we are going to listen to you lament. We are going to come alongside you, find you counselors, find you resources, or just sit with you as you cry and tear your ropes. Like,
2: that means that you have to take yourself out. Have so many thoughts on what you just said. Go, Rachel.
1: I would say, I'm interested. Yes and no. Yeah. I think that there probably are churches that are doing that well. Like, uh, I was part of a church, they have like a 12 step program. And so they try to address this thing, speak about it from the pulpit. Um, uh, the more that our pastor talked about abuse in marriages, the more from, abuse, the, pulpit. from the pulpit, the more and didn't hide them, did not hide Sorry. them, uh, <laughs> didn't ever disclose, Hey, there's these, but would actually talk about it in scripture as illustrations. Um, like the more that came out, uh, and more we got emails and phone calls about that. And so I do think there are, um, churches. And there are people who are doing that well, who are saying, hey, here's a counselor. Hey, here's a doctor. Hey, why don't you come with me and we'll do this. Um, but I think maybe overall, no, mm. just because we're doing a podcast on it.
0: <laughs> You're right. We've had to do, for- well, and I feel like we like to go, we have our, li- our idea of what success is. Success is, you stay married. Success Uh is your home looks like this. Success is, you know, and those things that we deem successes quickly become idols because we're so quickly involved in keeping those intact. And we have then though, a byproduct of that could be some severe anxiety, depression, Uh um, manic episodes, all kinds of things because nobody knows
2: knows where to go with the depth of that. There's but. also the element, though, that you have to acknowledge that you are struggling with depression, that you are, you have to go to those, I don't think people, are they, you hear what you're saying. In your relationships. Yeah. I mean, and I hear there's two parts to the story, right? There's the, the people that aren't helping is or that could do better helping, but there's also the people that need the help, that need to get out of the dark. Correct. To, I would agree. To say, hey, I'm Absolutely. struggling with depression. And, yeah. And so many of us don't want to say that, or I'm struggling yeah. with anxiety, or I don't know Because it eats you up, or it's a deep, dark place. But I think the more we talk about it, the more
1: I think some of it can be a pride issue, too. Huge, just that we don't want to, yeah, we don't want to admit I couldn't do something because I'm like,
2: I I can do, I can hold this. I'm a type A, oldest, four, whatever, and I can list all my things and be like, no one needs to know. I'm actually. So, one of the questions on here Uh is, when do labels serve well and when do they serve poorly?
0: I mean, is that is that part of it you're you don't want to be labeled as depression you don't want to be
2: labeled as someone who can't handle it on your own you John don't talk about people that to today talk, yeah he talked about that what is your label what is your name mm-hmm. like jacob's name was changed to israel and then he said what is your label that you're afraid people mm. we'll he see? he may not said that but that's as this context it, it applies well i'm going to apply it maybe a little differently but how does are you afraid that people are going to say hey my label is anxiety my label and so you don't want to share that when that's actually not your label mm-hmm. your label is that you're an overcomer To that and through the body of Christ, we can help each other. Mm -hmm. But what you talked about lament and being sad. Do you find Mm -hmm. that people find it's not okay to be sad and to grieve? Even like grieving a marriage that you're married, like you're in a marriage, your husband has turned away from God, and that some women I found have to grieve the fact that they may never come back to God. They can pray Mm -hmm. for them and they're gonna stay in the marriage. But you need to let go of that mm-hmm. and grieve that mar- or that part of the marriage that's not. And they can still eat dinner together. They can have a good time on vacation. They can still be
0: good friends. They yep. can
2: still be good friends. But yeah. they have got to learn to grieve to then move forward almost in their relationship with the Lord. Like it's a hindrance because it's they just can't let that go. Is that a normal Can lament? you ever let that
0: go, I wonder, though, if you're attached physically and really spiritually to this person who's decided they don't want to be a Christian anymore? That's hard. Don't look to at don't me, know. look
2: at Rachel. She's the professional. No. Yeah.
1: Oh. <laughs> I mean, what do you do with that? I think what process. I try to tell people is grieving is not a one and done deal. Like it's gonna be a ongoing process. And if you think about it, the savior was identified as a man of sorrow acquainted with grief, meaning that one of his labels was that he was a man of sorrow and he was friends with grieving. And so that means that He cried a lot. And I also think Jesus was probably a man of joy acquainted with delight, right? I think he felt the fullest and that he could grieve the deepest Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, he wasn't self-centered. And so I think people don't know how to grieve, and I don't think people know what to grieve. I think that they're only thinking they should grieve death instead of looking at not only uh, losses being... Not just lossing of people or pets, but jobs and locations and like spouses turning from the Lord. Friendships. Friendships, but also crosses. Like your crosses meaning like the difficulties of life, right? Mm. You know, grieving a wayward child, grieving. Um, what does grieving
2: allow you to do? Why do, why should we grieve?
1: That's a great question. Um, well, I, f- I feel like it, if you cut off grief, then you're not going to feel joy. Hmm. And so, one, I want to look like Jesus, too. It helps us to talk to the Lord, to have like candor, more intimate conversation with him. And and it actually helps us kind of live in the reality that he dwells, Hmm. because you're saying, what if he never comes back to the Lord? That's a real reality. What if your kid never accepts Jesus? That's a reality. And so actually living in that instead of the pretense of yes. it'll change. It'll, it'll change. Yeah. Making yourself a cliché – giving yourself clichés to help you feel better. Yeah. Like,
0: yeah. And so part moving of it,
1: forward. Well, that. part of that, too, helps us, like, when we're able to, like, grieve, then we can actually empathize with people because then mm-hmm. we're connecting to pain. And if we mm. connect to pain, then we're going to be able to connect to somebody else's pain, which is, like, people with mental health and mental illness. And, I mean – that's and then good. that way we're going to be able to, like, sit with him and be kind of the way Job's friends were the first week, not the last
2: I was like, yeah.
1: section of time there with him.
0: So one first of the seven, questions eight. that I've put on here that I really thought was really good um, from Brad that he said to ask was, is normal becoming too emotionally narrow? That hmm. if not in the medical establishment, but then are there societal norms in the church or wherever that – um That are pushing people in this direction, right? To where, like to your point, um, keeping us from feeling the grief, from lamenting, Mm -hmm. makes that scope too narrow. And then we cannot experience the growth, I guess, that could help us help someone else in that situation. Mm -hmm. So I I find myself with mental health and mental illness sometimes going, what comes first, the chicken or the egg thing? Mm -hmm. Like, is it... Mm environmental and this no. causes things is it chemical is it both all the above are we all we're all broken in some way shape yeah. or form so somewhere along the lines we all struggle Can we just answer all the above i mean yeah, I yeah like, like
2: i got, like sin suffering identity
0: yeah yeah i to that conversation too again like um so what is the danger in the church because i feel like we are one of those cultural identities mm-hmm. that ha- run the risk of becoming too emotionally narrow
1: yeah. What does that mean? Like, I can only, what does that emotionally narrow mean? It means, like, restricting your emotional range to, these are emotions that are acceptable and, quote, unquote, not sinful. And these are emotions that are sinful.
0: Oh. Or even joy. I don't experience the very yeah. highs of joy, but I also don't experience the very lows of as sadness and yeah. depression. Mm-hmm. That's, sorrow. What, that's yeah. what I was going. Yeah, yeah restricting, that, yeah. being ahead. in that little
1: in happy that, place, in those, mm-hmm. that little even medium. Whatever your happy place is.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: I mean, I would say that the church is probably has done the people, both their, their people in their pews and then the people uh, that are outside of the walls of the church a disservice in that way. Um, maybe at least here in the American church, because when I've spent time overseas in Africa, they um, they lament and they wail and they celebrate and they grieve and they at rejoice and Jewish dance.
2: weddings or Jewish funerals. If you don't have very many friends, they'll hire people to come yeah. lament at your funeral.
1: I thought that was
2: interesting. Yeah. That is interesting. So if like they you only have two, or three, two friends, <laughs> or three friends, they'll bring all these ladies and they'll cry for days. Is sit Shiva. Yeah. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yes. 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 <laughs> it's just well, like there's some of those things that I'm like, it's actually not a bad thing to no, do. No. To
0: to lament like
1: that.
0: hmm mm-hmm. Um there was we had talked about um, the different causes. I think hmm. Christy, you had it, right? I just wanted to mm-hmm. make sure you it was biology
1: environment, yes. Yes, and environment. Like yeah. Okay. Your Cause that's
0: what, yes. Okay. So then I think talking about, it says, what are the three types of struggle an individual can face, right? From a biblical perspective. And Brian says it's it's nice to kind of, it helps to be able to identify those three types of struggle, which is sin struggles, and those are challenges we face because of our moral choice, or misprioritized allegiances, which I thought was excellent. Mm -hmm. Suffering struggles, that's number two, challenges we face because of living in a world that's marred by sin, and it's inhabited by other sinners, but then (laughs) identity struggles, challenges we face because we define ourselves by the wrong things or lack a sense of identity. So there's three issues we face. It's sin struggles, suffering struggles, and identity struggles. So how important is it to make sure you get that right personally as you're trying to walk through your own struggles, but then as also as friends if we're trying to walk through them with someone else?
1: I mean, think about uh, the priest that approached Hannah when she's like weeping over her infertility. Uh, and he confronted her, and this is a suffering struggle, right? She's and like maybe in the a, corner, isn't yeah, she? Yeah, yeah. She's in the, it, definitely not a sin struggle, but it was suffering, a little bit of an identity, right? But definitely a suffering struggle. And then the priest thinks she's drunk, mm-hmm. and he confronts her like it's a sin issue, right? And mm-hmm. so we can, the danger is uh, we can miss people in that way. So if we're confronting suffering issues, right, mm-hmm. as sin issues, we can lose people. Um, now, I think sin has to be confronted uh, yes. if there is sin there, right? But we have to do a good job of, like, asking questions. And this is what I tell people. I tell my husband all this time. I'm like, ask questions. Asking questions, right? It pricks the conscience uh, mm-hmm. and accusations or making statements hardens hearts. And so, like, ask good questions. And so part of that is, like, I generally tell people, I'm like, always approach it as the suffering first. First and foremost. Like, hmm you know, whatever it is, like approach the suffering. Don't assume
2: you know Yeah, already. (laughs) That's (laughs) what you're saying. Yeah, that person's going
1: to be like, I'm out. You're coming at me
2: too strong and you're judging me. I'm
1: out. And then, like, look at, okay, well what are the sin and the identity? Are there sin and identity struggles that are here as well? And so, but...
0: So what's the difference then, and you answered this a little bit, but what's the difference with how you address a suffering struggle versus how you address an identity struggle?
1: Um well suffering struggle uh we want to kind of look at what are the causes of that right if there's uh, and the environment right what's kind of influencing it and so um how long it's gone on um, and what's been happening and so scripture would recognize just our environment's influences on our choices and emotions there's narratives psalms to talk about that uh, but we still are called to be salt and light uh, and then he commands us sometimes to remove ourselves from toxic environments, right? And
2: That's hard, if you're, especially if you're a person that's a drama person. You know what I mean? That <laughs> I'm not, but I know people. I'm intrigued by people that can't get out of toxic environments. Especially if it's in your own home, though, too. Yes. That's going to be All hard. All of that. Like, it's intriguing. And, and I could say that sitting on the outside looking at someone. But I'm intrigued by people that would just continue to live
1: in a toxic environment. That... But some of that could be the only thing that they've known, meaning right. if they grew up in a family of origin like that, then they're yes. going to perceive Which is, that as normal.
2: So then when I'm helping someone or talking mm-hmm. with someone, I need to get to know them and ask yep. the, you use the word family of origin a lot, that kind of stuff before I'm like, what are you doing? Just jump ship. Just cut yes. bait, girl. What, what's happening? Yes. Yeah. Versus yeah. realizing, oh, this is how she's wired. Like she yeah. doesn't know anything different. And then to know something different is super scary. Yeah. So- I hear you. I I just am always intrigued that you do have to get to know people before you can really advise them or help them or love them well. You have to listen to them, yeah, and ask the questions.
1: I mean, and then I would say even just kind of like when it's talking about more of the identity issues, like um, that's you know basically if you're kind of defining yourself as like I am Debbie minister at frisco and then you lose your job right yeah and then you struggle with despair and it goes even deeper in that into depression right so then that's an identity issue we would have to kind of repent of some of that idolatry that's there like rerouting your forgiveness like rerouting your identity in uh, in the lord knowing that if there was anything wrong obviously receiving like grace and forgiveness from god if you like embezzled money or something i think
0: there's one i think one of the hardest identity struggles is motherhood
1: Ah. Oh. Yes. It's either yes. having having
0: children or not having children, um, fertility um, issues go to that, but then also our children, once we raise them, when they're making choices we don't like and we feel like that reflects on us as a mother. <laughs> All those, I feel like for women, first it's as a wife, right? Mm-hmm. It's in our marriage. And if that isn't going the way we want or the way we like, I think we struggle with identity issues. And then... With our kids, if it's not going the way we want or when we like, we struggle with identity issues.
2: What did our friend just but, say? What was the quote that she said earlier today when we were talking to her?
0: Yeah. I what, don't do you remember, remember that quote. It. There
2: were you many. are not something of your own kid. Or oh, you, are, you not, are
1: not your kid's sin.
2: You are not your kid's sin. Yeah. Yeah.
1: You're not an extension of your child. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I remember growing up with
2: um, a friend and her son was making horrible choices. And I was in awe of her ability to just function. Yeah. And she was like, cause I'm not making light of it. It's very hard. Oh my gosh. It was, I mean, it took Mm -hmm. her a long time to get there, but she did a great job of communicating. Like he is his own person. I can't control him. I cannot. And that is his sin. What he's doing. I'm not going to accept that. That's not a reflection of me. I think though too, like for me, it's always this idea and this
0: expectation of what you're going. Okay. If I do this right, this will happen in my life. If I just do this, If I follow the Lord, if I do what he says, then my life will look like if I bring my kids
2: yes. to church on Sunday, exactly. if they're involved, if, if God we talk will about save it. my kids, yes, then everything will be perfect. Or not this extreme thought of, yes but then, that then goes it happened, That whole
1: therapeutic moralistic deism thing that you yes. said before. No, explain that. That's good. Big like word. What is <laughs> going
2: on, Rachel? Sunday <laughs> afternoon is big word Sunday. Yeah, this is awesome. <laughs> but it's good. That's a good. Great. I heard it that is described at the
0: conference, and <laughs> that's an excellent Do therapeutic
1: moralism, deism. Yeah, it's essentially where we want to go. God uh, that gives us like happy, healthy, you know, you do good, A plus B is, you know, one plus two is three, life. You know, that's the kind of God we want to serve. We want to be, we want ultimately relief, right? If there are, we view things as obstacles, right? We want relief from those things. Mm -hmm. And so we want, because we want to get back to the place of, being happy. And we don't even
2: want the obstacles. Being healthy. Can we even be honest there?
1: No, we don't. And, and that's <laughs> the thing. You've got to change them the to where I'm like, they are opportunities, right? And that's not good. for relief, but like really for dependence on the Lord. We have to really change the way we view. Obstacles. Obstacles. There we'll change the way we view trials and suffering and everything. Is, mm-hmm. is opportunities. And so I think kind of going back to mental health, um, obviously being able to empathize with them, wanting relief from their struggle. Uh, and where they're in, but then as a believer, like teaching them, you know, encouraging them to, you know, exercise, eat healthy, follow up with their doctor, take their medication, uh, but then teaching them how to be dependent upon the Lord, right? When, hey, guess what? That, that third medication they took didn't work, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, it's so, not working. And mm-hmm. so how do you sit with them in a valley Right? Because what I've seen some people in church do is they sit okay for a couple months. Exactly. And they're doing a, they're like, okay, you're with me in in steps or recovery program Mm -hmm. and you're in Bible study and you're doing this and now you're on meds and you're exercising. Okay, great. Oh, wait, you're still depressed? Mm. I just don't know if I can keep doing this. You know, that's kind of the what i see is like if you they're not in it for the long haul. Yeah, there's a lack of perseverance there on the part of the people that are trying to that help. that
0: are trying to step in and help. Mm-hmm. And i think
1: that's, that's why you what you need I'm a honest. team of people. You need a team of yes. people. There and that's what i'm go. saying. We need to mm-hmm. wrap
0: around. It, it, yeah. It's not when we're trying to put it on just one program. I feel like that's where we have faulted. We've created oh, awesome opportunities. So one, one person but we've created op- awesome opportunities. I think Lately in the past decade sure. in the church to help people with difficulties. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I do think um, Westernized church has identified those things that we've struggled with meeting the needs of. Right. Because that's just one other aspect. Um, I do think it's interesting when I think of us as a church body in general, like the universal church, everybody in it. Um, I'm thinking about more the endurance we have to come alongside people for the duration who struggle. We don't have that. No. (laughs) Sorry. I'm glad that Rachel just spit it out there (laughs) because it's true. I think we mean well. We don't
1: have that. We We
0: mean well. We start in good. But when people start being too hard for too long, it's not just when they're hard
1: at first. Mm -hmm. I think we're better at meeting that. It is when they're hard for too long. I mean that's that is uh, at the Western church in general, just as a people. I mean like I look back on the pandemic and even just like the lockdowns and people complaining or, you mm-hmm. know, all and I'm just like, oh gosh. We, you know Yeah, I think we've really kind of missed that, the perseverance of the saints. And the only way that we're gonna be able to do that is just like daily going back and knowing that it it's a humility thing in the sense of do I see myself as that desperate, as that in need of Jesus, right? As the person who I'm walking alongside that's mentally ill, because the reality is that's true. Yeah. You know, we're no different, right? And so we're just as in need, just as in desperation. And, you know, we kind of like say, well, my problems aren't that big. And so, but the reality is it's true. That's, you know, we need Jesus just as much, just as daily things don't work out, right? We might look better on the outside, like whitewashed tombs, but doesn't necessarily mean that inside is like right full of the well love then, of Christ. Do you there. have a question, real quick, before I ask the last one? When yeah. We close.
2: How do how do we do a better job of that then?
1: Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think part of that is is going back to the Lord ourselves, right? Is is trying to figure out. why we're so resistant to people that are difficult, why we're so resistant to Mm. wanting to do hard things for a really long time. And then, you know, what have we encountered? I guess even just looking at our own life, like, have we encountered suffering in our own life? And I feel like if you're past 15, you have, but how did we respond to it? How are we handling it? Mm -hmm. You know, and then are we actually being dependent upon the Lord? Are we being that vulnerable? That's what I was thinking of are we, am,
2: we're allowing the Holy Spirit to equip us and help us walk through because there are days you wake up and you're like, I can't do this. Yeah, And that's when you're like, have y'all seen that meme, the Holy Spirit activate? Have y'all seen that? No, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, it's so great. This lady comes on family feud and she's like, she needs to answer the question. She's like, Holy Spirit activate, but she does a song and dance, which I'm not going to do, but <laughs> there are days that I appreciate that because there are days that I'm like, Holy Spirit activate, like, I need you because this this is hard, life is hard, whatever it is, right? yeah. because I don't have the ability to do it myself. And then when you know that you're not doing it and you're walking in step with him, then it's not easy, but it's it has peace. Yeah. And then you're not you're not looking at other things. You're just going, thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Holy Spirit.
1: I think another thing we could do is, like, look back at our life and see the people who, you know, are mm. difficult or in pain and that we didn't walk with well and um, ask for forgiveness. I've done that. And it makes me sad. Like, I mm-hmm. missed the
2: mark on that one. Yeah. I and was actually reach here out. Reach out. That. I, so I had yeah. lunch with a friend probably about a year ago. And we were talking. And I was like, oh, I'm supposed to apologize. Not having lunch with the intent to apologizing. But thinking back when she was talking about where she's at now and being like, I was a bad friend. I am so sorry. But that was a weird moment Mm -hmm. thinking I'm apologizing. Yeah, I am. I I was not good Mm -hmm. because I think at the time I had three little babies and that's Mm -hmm. where I was at Mm -hmm. and I couldn't see past it. Where in reality that could have helped me get out of those three babies for a Mm -hmm. little bit of time and been like, I need to look outside my life Mm -hmm. where I'm at. And so, you do. You have to apologize for those. Well,
0: and I think for me. And
2: that's hard. That's prideful. That Again, is less that's prideful. That was hard is. for me to do. But I, Probably need to I, get I had to, to apologize <laughs> for the
0: ones that I've seen and I've deliberately looked away. Mm. So not there's the ones oh, that you yeah. don't realize are there just because your life is busy and hard. And you're going, Lord, for, Lord, forgive me for not looking beyond myself, right? Yeah. Which is what you're saying. But I feel like for me, I have looked at some and said, I can't do that right now. Mm -hmm. I'm turning the other direction. And for me, that's where I've had a couple that I've had to go to, um, especially my family. And I've had to say, I'm so sorry. Will you please forgive me? I deliberately turned away from that because, you know, you could have used me and I didn't feel like I had anything left to give, but that's not your fault. That's Mm -hmm. mine. Because there's times where I think we do reach the bottom of our endurance, but instead of pushing into that, you don't get better at enduring unless you do it. There is no other way to exercise that muscle, Mm -mm. that emotional muscle, the capacity we have to use our mind and our will and our emotions and our choices and our thirst for the Lord to help others. We cannot build that muscle unless we use it.
1: And then a lot of times I'll see people, they'll start out great, but then they're not spending time with the lord or kind of yes. like replenishing and then yeah. they burn out yeah. right? for sure and that then they're absolutely like true. they may be one of your best like lay counselors mm. like women's like care response and then they have just neglected and neglected their yeah. own heart that then they disappear for like and their summarizer
0: selfishly was like i just don't want to do it yeah i have the time and the capacity to <laughs> endure i just don't want to do it
2: but <laughs> I, i'm okay that with was those terrible that was terrible Well, they would say that I don't want to do it.
0: (laughs) I'm not. For me, I wasn't. For me, I really felt like it was a pull call from the Lord and I ignored it. Well, Mm -hmm. I appreciate the honesty to say, I don't want to do it. I can't do
2: it. And then kind of digging in and being like, why? Where are you at in life? Mm -hmm. Well, life Mm -hmm. is hard or I'm dealing with all. Yes. Or I don't want to. Mm -hmm. But however, I just appreciate the honesty of people. In that situation. Yeah. Or I don't want to. Okay, wait, why don't you? But Let's I think for me, that. I
0: had to I had to really reflect on and be honest with myself that it was wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there's that. Absolutely. I think some people go, I'm reflecting and I don't think it was wrong. Fine. But yeah. for me, I really yeah. had to go. Everybody has their own. That Absolutely. was wrong. Yeah. yeah. That was wrong. Okay. So as we're, this has been a fabulous conversation as always, Rachel. Thank you. We so appreciate good. it so much. So I wanted to end with a question that I think is good um, for the church um, two, for it's the that women that tension, are listening, the women that are listening,
2: everyone, all of us, maybe there's one guy, <laughs> but the husband that has to hear it. Cause the wife has it on really loud. Yeah, on Alexa. Like so.
0: I feel bad for the guy. Okay. So my question that I'm ending that I think would be cool to end with, um, y'all may want to have another one, but how do we understand the tension between already and not yet with regards to the health development and preservation of the mind? Like the things we know we have already, Mm -hmm. but the things God is saying to us, not yet, which is going to be heaven, right? Mm -hmm. Eternity. Mm -hmm. But we act like sometimes we want it now. So we act like the world should behave like heaven. Right.
1: I'm going to throw out another big word for you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm ready. So that tension. I'm yeah. Gonna get my Google uh, ready. This is from, this was a word from J.R. Vassar, unrealized eschatology. Unrealized oh, eschatology. I already like that so far.
2: I'm a, I'm a big eschatology Essentially, fan. Essentially you R. want.
1: J.R. Vassar Church of the Cross. Yes. Yeah, you want uh, the you want heaven now. Mm. Yeah. Like And so I think when it comes to that, I always kind of go, I really don't even think we have, like going back to our cookie cutter version of Christianity, I don't think we have a great understanding of what normal is or what quote unquote healthy, holy really is. I think Jesus is the best look of what that is um, for us. Here on earth. Yeah, here Mm -hmm. on earth. And I would say that a lot of us aren't homeless and, you know, are itinerant ministers. Not that you have to give all of those things up to do that, but... Um, you know, that he was the greatest reflection of mental health. He had perfect mental health um, and he was homeless. And so, mm-hmm. um, which is humbling to think about that. And his, his occupation, his ministry was only three years. And uh, really, he only had 12 guys really know him well, right? I mean, because mm-hmm. at the end, you know, everybody wanted him dead. And so, I mean, he spent the majority mm-hmm. of his time with like these 12, one that, he knew would betray him and Mm -hmm. the other one that would deny him. So I don't think we have a great understanding of like what perfect mental health is. And so, um, but I think having grace to go just as much as like an arm can't grow back if it's amputated, it doesn't mean that we're going to have perfect mental health on this side. We will, when we see Jesus face to face, right? There won't be any more manic episodes or panic attacks or flashbacks or, things like that. But I think setting it up to where a lot of times when people think about mental illness, they think, oh, it's a disease, right? So there's this cure. And to go, well, no, these are symptoms, like there's syndromes, right? And so Mm -hmm. to go, well, I don't know if we'll ever be perfectly mentally at rest and well until we see him face to face. And so having grace for people and ourselves in the Mm -hmm. in-between.
0: We're not going to ever be symptom-free. Yeah, cuz I that's think you're
2: saying.
1: Yeah, we want relief and I think the Lord wants us to rest in him. And I think those two things are very different. Oh, that's good. When you
2: said to have grace for self and for mm-hmm. grace for in between. Yeah. That's good. The in between the already and not yet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's really good. That's a good place to end.
0: Grace for the in between people, between the stuff we know we already have and the stuff that God's saying not yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's good. Well, thank you so much, mm-hmm. Rachel. We thank appreciate you it guys. very much. Um, it was a great conversation. There's so much there. Like, Christy, I had so many questions. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. You know, I feel like we could spend a whole podcast on just one of these questions. Um, but the website that um, Rachel did talk about, um, I just wanted to spell it for you real quick. It's um, www. Dot, and she said Brad Hambrick, but his name is B-R-A-D-H-A-M-B-R-I-C-K.com. And so that's where you can go to find those resources. And we'll put it on the blog too. So if you want to go find it, you can. Just want to make sure you had access to that. He has great resources for the church. So anyway, thank you, Rachel. We appreciate it. Thank you, guys. It was fun. Yeah, it's always fun talking to you. We appreciate it. We go all over the place, but it's just fun. Mm -hmm. It's good. (laughs) Yeah, it's good. So thank you so much. So that's it from us, everybody. This is Noisy Narratives out. Until next time, we'll talk to you later. Bye.
2: What happens now?